Man, can you imagine that day? You know, it's, I was down there thinking about that line about we'll join a thousand generations. And Wednesday night, we were um, blessed to be able to study through Revelation 4. And so if you don't know, we've been studying through Revelation on Wednesday nights in our adult service. And uh, we were spent the whole night just in Revelation 4, breaking apart that chapter and just studying and reading about the throne of God and the worship that will be taking place around that throne. Um, every tribe, every tongue, every people will celebrate and praise Christ. And, you know, we try to imagine what that's like. Um, and yesterday we had the opportunity to go to a Michigan game and... Um, on the way home, somebody in the car made a comment about, um, man, you know, it, to be excited about your team scoring a touchdown or to be excited about something that happens on the field, like, and everybody just gets fired up and excited. And it's, it, it's not super comparable in the sense that we shouldn't do everything you would do at a sporting event in church, obviously. But, but when it talked about, when he was talking about, man, I need to be excited to, to worship. I need to look forward to worshiping like I look forward to this sporting event. I need to be excited to worship with God's people like I'm excited to go to this game. And I started thinking about this morning, I kind of really sincerely thinking about that. Like, am I looking forward to gathering with God's people? And now if you're not a sports fan, you can use this illustration however you want. Whatever it is that, that you just, when you know what's on your calendar, you start getting excited about it like months in advance. Like you look forward to that, whatever that is for you. And you start anticipating it, and it builds, and it builds. You just can't wait. And then it comes, and it's, it's more than you thought it would be, and you have so much fun, and you enjoy it. And then when it's over, you spend weeks talking about how much fun you had and how much you enjoyed that experience. And it could be anything, whatever it might be. And so for, for me as a Michigan fan and a sports fan, like going to a Michigan game, is, I was looking forward to that for weeks to come. And I started thinking, Lord, do I look forward to Sunday? Do I look forward to Wednesday like I do those things? Like, like whatever it is for you. And I got, you may think of all sports, whatever, what is it for you? Like that you just can't wait to get there. And I I mean, I don't know about you, but there's been times I haven't done that with church. But do you realize that when we gather in this place, we are joining in. Now, one day we'll literally physically join in with the resurrection. We'll literally be in his presence, physically in his presence and praise God for that moment. But right now we are joining in, by the way, Every church on planet earth that is worshiping the Lord as they gather together, we're joining into that chorus of just God's people singing and shouting and glorifying praises to him. And I started thinking this morning, what would that be like to be around the throne and with one voice proclaim, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. Well, yesterday at the game, they said they had something around 110,600 and some people in this stadium. And when Michigan scored, the many, many times that they scored yesterday, which was exciting and awesome, every time they scored, we were blessed with some seats right near the end zone, one of the end zones. You could feel the anticipation as they were getting closer to the end zone and closer to the end zone. And then when they finally broke the plane, people just jumped up out of their seats and they were just so excited. And they were just cheering it. And what it made me think of was not so much that the cheering per se, but it was that idea of 110,000 voices all proclaiming the same cheer. And that's just a drop in the bucket of when you get to Revelation, it said tens of tens of tens of tens of thousands of angels around the throne 
Those aren't literal tens. It's meant to mean beyond count. There's so many tens of thousands of angels. You couldn't even sit and count them if you wanted to. And then you have the body of Christ worshiping around the throne. And I just, this morning I was thinking, Lord, thank you for that yesterday. It was a lot of fun, but more than that, it was a little glimpse into maybe this is what it might sound like. It was also really cool. We were sitting near people that obviously we didn't know. And every time they scored a touchdown, it didn't matter. We were just high-fiving and cheering and excited and all that. The guy in front of us, poor guy, came by himself. And he said, the one day I come to a Michigan game and it poured on him. You know, he says, this is great, you know. I didn't know that man from Adam. By the way, different skin tone than mine. The guy next to me, different background than mine. The people all around me, different life experiences than mine. Different people groups and races. And guess what? None of it mattered. Because we're all cheering for what? We're all cheering for the same thing. And so I'm so thankful for that little glimpse into that. Because as we're on planet Earth, as the body of Christ, we're working towards one goal. There's one purpose. There's one common purpose among God's people. That's that more and more people will know Christ and glorify him, be discipled in him. And we get to gather and do that. Like we're we're practicing this morning in a sense. Like I know we're really worshiping, but I mean, one day we're going to do this for eternity. And if singing the chorus, holy, 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 gets a little old to you, you're not going to like eternity. We said it Wednesday night, and I'm, I'm going to sing in heaven in front of everybody, but not right now. We talked about Wednesday night. Do you know the only attribute of God that's said three times in Scripture? It doesn't say God is love, love, love. God is grace, grace, grace. God is mercy, mercy, mercy. Only holy, holy, holy. It's the only attribute used in three. And that tells us something about our God, that he is Holy, he is completely set apart unto himself for his glory and his praise. And so when the Bible says, be holy as I am holy, it doesn't mean be perfect as I am perfect. You can't. That's why you need a savior and grace. It says, no, be separated from everything else and be 100% committed to me. Be 100% surrendered to me. So this morning, I want to unpack what that might look like as we're in week two of our series, Step Out of the Boat I believe we can grow and surrender to Christ as we continue to worship him this morning. And so last week we started this series, Step Out of Your Boat, and we're going to go to the same text. We're going to start in the same text this morning. I want to use this as, again, kind of a base text for our whole series. Um, We'll probably actually read this the next two weeks as well. And so I pray you become very familiar with this text, that it's an encouragement to you. But before we turn there, last week we kind of started this whole thing by realizing that we could step out of our boats by faith, keeping our eyes on the Savior. Now, if you want to take notes, you can do that on our app. There's a section, uh, media, sermon notes, and then there's notes. And I need to apologize. Last week I said that, and some of you were having a hard time finding it. That's because they weren't in there. And that was of no fault of anyone but mine. Um, I loaded the attachment for the notes to send it to TJ for our sound guy, as I try to do every Thursday. And it was there, loaded up, loading up, and I walked away from my desk. Ever do this? Well, I'll do something else while that's loading. Went about the day, left, never gave it another thought. Found out Monday morning, I get on my computer, I open my email. It says, you have one draft. I don't have any drafts. There's the email sitting, waiting to be sent from Thursday. So, so I apologize about that. If you were trying to find the notes last week, 
Um, what we can do is I think they're loaded up now. And uh, if so, what we'll do is if you want to go back and re-listen to the sermon, you can do it that way. Or if you just want the notes from last week and you weren't able to get those for obvious reasons, let me know. I, I would just send you a copy of the notes from last Sunday morning. We can do that as well. So, but this morning they're there. Praise God. And as I was saying that, TJ was not going, no, they're not. What are you talking about? So we're good. They're there. They're loaded up, ready to go if you want to follow along. But we talked about this idea of stepping out of our boat by faith. And we affirm some very important truths that the Lord is with us in the storm and calls us to take courage and not be afraid. In the midst of a storm, he calls to us as we're in the boat, take courage, be not afraid. We realized last week that when we step out, there will be risks, there will be continued storms and seasons of storms, and there will be setbacks. When you choose to step out, there will be risk. You're risking something. You're putting yourself out there. There will be storms. Those do not cease because you stepped out of the boat. Remember, the storm did not stop when Peter got out of the boat. They continued. And then there will be setbacks. You will step out. And have the right heart, the right mindset, the right desires, and something will happen. Either you will stumble because you're human and you'll make a mistake or you'll get your eyes off the Lord or something like that will happen personally. Someone else might make a decision that affects you that it has no control, you have no control over, but somebody else makes a decision, maybe an area of influence or, or whatever around you. And, and that's a setback. And you start to question, maybe I should have never got out of the boat. Maybe I should have stayed where it was safe and comfortable. You'll have these setbacks and we need to keep our eyes on the Lord in the midst of the storm and the setback because none of that stops what the Lord desires to do in our lives. Man, what an amazing song that Danielle sang this morning, that there's nothing that can stop our God. I don't know if you believe that, but I pray you will come to believe that because that's the truth of God's word. Nothing stops our God. I know stuff stops us all the time, right? limitations, discouragement, hurtful words, bad situations, bad parking spots, bad hair days. So many things can stop us in our tracks. But nothing stops our God. And so we can keep our eyes on him. So today, as we're continuing the series, we're going to be looking at the four types of boats that we are called to step out of. The four types of boats that I believe we're called to step out of. So go to our text, Matthew 14 verses 22 through 33. That's where we're going to pick up again. And this is again, our text from last week. If you're using one of the Bibles provided, you can turn to page 683, 683, Matthew chapter 14 verses 22 through 33. And we will read the entire text Uh, as you're turning there or scrolling there on your device. Uh, Just a word of encouragement, we have some families that are camping this weekend, out of town this weekend, so if you know someone that's away, please be praying for them, pray for safety and travels, and they'll return home safely as well. Matthew chapter 14, look at verse 22. Straightway Jesus constrained, that means it was Jesus' idea for them to get in the boat. Okay, so he's going to do something, and he needs them in the boat to demonstrate to them what he wants to do. Okay, so it's his idea. So Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and go before him unto the other side. Now, in our fourth week, we're going to talk about that phrase right there. We're going to unpack what that really means. But let's continue. While he sent the multitudes away, and when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. 
Now notice that too. Jesus is spending time in prayer. If the Son of God, God himself, needs to separate time for prayer, what does that tell us? We better be setting some time aside to pray, right? goes on to say this. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, and the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, that's somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m., so this is in kind of the middle of the night to a little bit later, says this, And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. Not is not, not it is the spirit. They say it is a spirit. This is a ghost. This is, a way we, this, is a, this is some kind of a being that is not familiar to us and we're scared of what we're seeing. By the way, you're in a boat, storms raging, 3 to 6 a.m., dark, and you see a person-like creature walking towards you on the water. I think we'd all be afraid. We'd all be scared. You're also tired, wore out, weary from battling the storm. These are also professional fishermen. Do you think they've ever seen this before? Absolutely not. And that's why they're terrified. Goes on to say this. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit, and they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me to come out unto thee on the water. And he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand. I love that phrase. Not, okay, Peter, when you get enough faith, you let me know and I'll be right there. Do you believe, Peter? Because you've got you to verbalize it. You've got to say the words, I believe you can save me. And until you do that, I'm, I'm limited. I can't work. There's a whole movement within supposed professed Christianity that believes this, and it's nonsense. The Lord does what the Lord does. And we cry, Lord, save me. And immediately, by his grace, he saves us both spiritually unto eternal life. And I believe here, in this case, physically, he reaches out and he grabs Peter. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? He corrects his lack of faith After he saves him, he brings it up. You should believe, but he doesn't ask that or rebuke him before he saves him. He does it after he saves him. And when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased that they that were in the ship came and worshiped him saying of a truth. Thou art the son of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning, Lord, and all that you have for us, all that we've already experienced. I pray, Lord, that you would go before us in this time of being in your word and the message that you've laid before us. I pray, Lord, that you give me clarity of thought, clarity of mind. Help me not to get in the way of what you're doing because this is all for you. And so I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be pleasing in thy sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, may you be glorified in all that is going on this morning. Help us to apply the things, not only what we're going to hear from your word, but also the principle and the lessons of the music we just sang, the praise of just worshiping you. I pray that every, every word that we sang was not saying because the word was on the screen before us, but it was a cry of our heart of worship and meaningful praise that we'd worship in spirit and in truth. And so, Father, thank you for your word, for this story that we can draw from, this real-life event but that we can draw from,
the illustration of this, Lord. And Father, I, I, I know you can do all things. And so I pray that as great of a miracle as it is to have Peter step out of a physical boat on the physical waves and walk on the water, I believe sometimes, Lord, the figurative boat of the things we're going to talk about this morning can almost see like in need of more of a miracle to step out of. And so would you help us to use this passage, the principles we find therein, as an illustration and as a, a way to communicate these things that we find ourselves limiting us and binding us and keeping us back from what you have for us. Lord, again, would you be glorified in all of this? And if there's anyone here that doesn't know you as their Lord and personal Savior, whether watching online or here in person, they would come to know Christ before they breathe their last breath, Lord, that they would repent of their sin, believe you died on the cross, was buried and rose again, and anyone who professes faith in you will receive grace unto eternal life. Help us to repent of our sins, to turn to you, Lord, whether in the initial act of salvation or even as followers of Christ, if we need to repent and turn from sin that we're battling with, Lord, would you help us in that area? Give us the strength to know the victory is already won and that nothing is impossible for you. Thank you for overcoming everything that we needed you to overcome and giving us the victory in every area that we might walk in you. Father, we love you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we read this passage, we must remind ourselves and remember that we can take courage, be not afraid, and why? Why is it that I have courage and no fear in the midst of a storm? Not because I'm good enough, not because I'm able to overcome, not because of who I am, but because he, Christ, is with us in the midst of the storm, and he is exactly who he declared himself to be. That is the God of all creation. The winds obey his command. And so in the midst of a storm, I don't need to fear. Why? Because God in Christ is with me. Through salvation, he is with me. And he says, take courage, be not afraid. I am with you. It is I. And so in the midst of craziness of life, when you're going through something, how is it that you can have a peaceful mindset, joy through the struggle? You're not stressing out like your coworkers are or your family and friends are because of whatever new tragedy, new crazy thing is going on in the world. And by the way, every day, it seems like there's another thing that everybody is scared of and everybody's afraid of, and it's all going to fall apart tomorrow. And if we don't fix this, so how is it that we maintain that joyful, contented spirit in Christ. Because we know he is with us, so we take courage, and we're not afraid. So many people get their eyes off the Lord, and they start to sink into their fears and struggles, and the Lord is there to lift them up. But the point is, we don't have to sink into those things if we keep our eyes on him. And so the question I want to ask this morning as we unpack these four Boats, what boats, and again, using this as a figure of speech and illustration, what boats are you in right now that you know God is calling you to step out of and onto the waves? It's intimidating, it's scary, but what is that boat? So, the four boats that hold us back, I'm going to dive into these and we're going to move relatively quickly through these. So, again, if you're taking notes, awesome. If you want a copy of these notes, please let me know. So what's the first of the four boats? Well, the easiest one that we identify and all of us can connect with is the boat of fear. The boat of fear. 
It sounds something like this. And I want to try to give you an example of what somebody may say either to themselves, to the Lord, or to you in regards to showing you that they're in this boat. It's something like this. I could never do anything impactful for the Lord. I am just not good enough. I don't know about you. I've thought that. I've said that to the Lord. Lord, when he was calling me into full-time ministry as a youth pastor, no, I can't do that. Then he was like, hey, watch this. I'm going to have you fill the pulpit for a year. Oh, I can't do that. Here, I'm going to have you interim at this church for a little while. Well, Lord, I can't do that. Well, here, I'm going to actually, they're going to decide to make you the senior pastor. Lord, I can't do that. In every day of ministry, I'm reminded that I can't do that. But here's the amazing thing. He never said, hey, can you be good enough to do this and then I'll use you? He says, no, 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 you just make yourself available and watch me work. See, I'm too ordinary. I'm too young. I'm too old. I'm too poor. I'm too uneducated. I'm too unable. That's a lie. See, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of ourselves less. There's a false humility in Christianity today where people go, well, I, you know, I could never do that. And they think they're being humble, but they're actually being prideful. Humility says, man, it's not about me. It's about you. It's about the Lord. And what can I do to demonstrate that? Humility, false humility says, well, I could never do that. So I'm just going to go over here and sulk away and never be used. No, God is saying, I can use you. I'm going to turn there quickly. You can jot it down for note's sake. Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6 and verse 15. Familiar story. All of Judges 6 is amazing. Story of Gideon. Popular story from the book of Judges, one of the great judges used by God to do amazing things, but popular story as well. The story of the real 300, by the way, the actual 300. Gideon 6, 15 says this, as God was encountering him through an angel, reminding him of what he's going to do. He says this, and he said, this is Gideon to the angel, oh, my Lord. Wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least of my father's house. Now, we're not going to read it for time's sake, but he's down in the middle of this wine press, shifting through grain. He's he's doing this in secret. He's hiding from the Midianites because he's so afraid that they're going to come and take his grain. God approaches him and says, hey, mighty man of valor, I got a plan for you. Gideon says, I am the, my family is the poorest family in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. You think, okay, my family is bad. I'm the worst of them as far as limited and unable and, and not equipped to do these things. You see, Gideon could not believe that God could use someone like him. He's hiding and fearful And yet when he chooses to surrender and how gracious was God to work with him through those little tests that Gideon put out, he didn't get mad at Gideon because Gideon's heart was Lord. And I love that Gideon says, Lord, please don't get mad at me again, but I'm going to test this. I want to know that it's you. How gracious is our God that even in our stubbornness, which is really kind of what it was, it was still a heart of faith. And so God sees it differently than the Pharisees who kept telling Jesus, do another trick, Jesus, do another miracle. He says, no, we're done. You don't get any more signs. You don't get any more miracles. See, Gideon's heart was, I want to know that this is really you, Lord. So would you affirm this to me? When he steps out and he surrenders, God uses him 
in such a mighty way and reveals to Gideon that in him, he becomes the mighty man of strength and courage that God can form him into. You see, Gideon, despite, again, what some have said, Gideon didn't have this in him the whole time. It was a popular uh, pastor that basically implied that some of the disciples, like Peter, for example, had everything in him that he needed to have, and God just needed to draw it out. That is not according to Paul's words. Paul says, I am weak. I am, I am nothing. Everything I've done is like a pile of, well, he says dung in the King James. If you don't know what that word means, look it up on Google, and you'll find out who doesn't know in a few minutes when you Google it and start laughing. He says, all this stuff, all this religious stuff, it's... Jesus had to shape and form Paul into who he was going to be. That wasn't in Paul initially. God put that there. God created that in him. Same with Gideon. Gideon wasn't a mighty man of strength and valor that just was forgetting who he was. No, he was hiding in fear. And when he surrendered, God's spirit came upon him and strengthened him to do what he had to do. So how is it that we can be used by God in our weaknesses and limitations? Here's the reality. In Christ, you have his spirit. And his spirit gives strength and boldness and courage and wisdom and all the other ministries of the spirit that draw us the ability to do what God calls us to do. Don't let fear hold you in that boat any longer because it is a lie. God may not use you the way he uses someone else. Okay? He may not and most likely will not use you the way he uses someone else. But you can simply make yourself available. Adrian Rogers said it so well. I love, I've been kind of on a thing recently listening to some of his sermons from years ago. And just such an amazing preacher of God's word. Just a powerful preacher of God's word. He said it this way in a sermon I heard recently. You do not choose your place of service. You make yourself available to God and he will use you. We're so focused on, okay, I need to be in this position and do this thing and only this way. And then God, no, no, you just say, God, you use me whatever way you want. And then you watch him open a door and another door and another door. And sometimes it's in your comfort zone. Most of the time it's out of your comfort zone. We're going to talk about that in a moment. And we begin to see God do great things for his glory. You see, we have fear of stepping out because we think I'm not good enough. But we also have fear of stepping out because we are carrying the weight and guilt of past sins and failures. God could never use someone like me who did what I did. Now, here's the truth of it. We must repent of sin and turn to Christ. Starting point. We must repent of sin and turn to Christ. We do not continue in sin that grace may abound. However, We must not allow past sins to hold us hostage, making us believe that God could never use someone like you, someone like me, because of what we've done. If if you believe that and you're telling yourself that, then you are minimizing the power of the grace of God. You you are making it empty and meaningless and without substance because you're saying, yeah, God's grace can save. God's grace can use them. God's grace can save me, but God's grace isn't quite sufficient enough to use me because of what I've done. It's a lie. Again, it's these boats are figments that we create and we put around us. And then we wonder, God, why aren't you using me? But we're hiding in the boat. He's calling us graciously to say, would you just step out? 
Would you just step out of that? Listen, I've forgiven you of that sin. I've redeemed you of that sin. That sin does not have power over you anymore. Stop giving yourself to it. You're living hostage to that past mistake or failure. Again, the Bible is filled with example upon example of those that sinned and yet were used mightily of God. Rahab. Rahab. You know how we know her? Rahab, the harlot. Yet God used her tremendously for his glory. Moses, Peter, Paul, Saul, persecutor of the church. I'm the least of the apostles because I imprisoned the believers. I persecuted the church. I oversaw the first stoning of a Christian, the first martyrdom of a Christian in the book of Acts. Greatest Christian missionary we've ever read of. David, Noah, Abraham. Abraham had a problem with the truth. He always fudged it just a little bit. He always kind of half-truths and sort of truths and a little. And yet God said, I'm going to make a covenant with you, Abraham, that has nothing really to do with you, everything to do with me, but watch me use you when you surrender to me. See, do we sin and do we just keep going down that deal? Is sin no big deal? Of course, sin is a huge deal. We don't live in a lie that we think, well, it's fine. I can do whatever I want because I got this grace card I can throw out there. No. We must seek forgiveness and live and pursue a life of holiness in Christ. We must pursue to live in a way that honors him and strive for that. Yet this does not mean that if we stumble and if we fail, we're unusable. You see, the fact that he uses all of these examples in Scripture and many, many more, it reveals to us that our God can use broken people like you and I for his glory. Paul says it perfectly in 1 Corinthians 1. I'm going to have you turn there with me. 1 Corinthians 1. And if, again, you're using one of the Bibles provided, you can turn to page 802. 1 Corinthians 1. I've, I've referred to this verse many times over the years. I say it, people think I'm joking. I'm really not. This is kind of a ministry passage for me as far as my, a lot of people have life verses or things like that. This is kind of like a ministry passage for me that I go to often to remind myself of these truths that are so vital to being used by God. So first Corinthians one and verse 23. So that we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews, a stumbling block and unto the Greeks, foolishness. That's kind of two categories of the major people groups in the world. Greeks could also be Gentiles. So Jews and non-Jews. When you preach Christ crucified, the Jews, that's a stumbling block. We can't get over that. We can't get around that. We don't understand that. Unto the Greeks or the Gentiles, that's just foolishness. It's nonsense. It doesn't make sense. In their philosophical and scientific mind, it doesn't make sense. By the way, we live in a very Gentile world today, right? So you preach Christ. You preach the power of creation that God actually formed the world in six literal days. What do they tell you? That's foolishness. You can't believe some science. There's so many Christians, by the way, and more and more. And it just drives me absolutely crazy. Christians professing followers of Christ. Wow. You know, that it's really just figurative in Genesis. It's not really literal. Well, what's your baseline for that? Well, science says, well, what science? Well, human science, where does that come from? Well, humanistic thinking is based on evolution, but you know, they're, they're in agreement with God's. No, it's foolishness to them. It's always going to be foolishness to them because their eyes have been veiled. Their eyes are scaled. They, they can't see the truth. 
They're suppressing Romans 1, the truth of God and unrighteousness. They aren't going to accept the word of God as actual fact. And so what does Paul say? We preach this Christ. By the way, do you notice the preaching of Christ doesn't stop because other people think it's foolishness? Notice he doesn't say, "Mm, how can I preach this Christ in a different way so that they'll accept me? He says, we just preach Christ. We preach him crucified. Romans 1 says, why? Because it's the power of God and the salvation. It goes on to say this, though. We must hurry. Verse 24. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than man, and the weakness of God is stronger than man. God is not weak. The, the people that God uses in the culture are considered weak. But that ability of God to use them is stronger than the mightiest man without Christ. Is that what Paul's saying? He goes on to say this. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than man. I already read that. Verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren. And this is where it gets into more application for me as a pastor. But this is true of anyone that has a calling of Christ in their life, which we all do to serve him, to glorify him, to preach his name, to make disciples. It just, we all just work different jobs. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world, which things are despised. Hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to not things that are. Why? Why does he choose to use broken people like us? Great question. Paul answers it. Verse 29, that no flesh should glory in his presence, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus whom of God is made us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. How is it I could step out of this boat of fear and be used by God? I can't do that. You're right. But in Christ, he's going to use you to do great things. Why? So he receives the glory. This does not mean that God cannot use well-educated people in the world's eyes or wise individuals in the world's eyes. It doesn't mean if you have a degree from a respected university, somehow, well, I can't, he says he doesn't choose the wise. That's not what he means. What Paul is making clear is that we preach Christ, we will be fools in the world's eyes no matter what our worldly credentials may be. Also, even the educated and learned servants of Christ No, it is all by his grace and not by their doing that they are called, equipped, and used for service. Do you know why you have that degree, that education, that job? Because God gave you an intellect. God gave you an intelligence. God gave you breath in your lungs to go to the class, to do the work, to achieve that goal. It is not of your doing. Secondly, the boat we must get out of is the boat of comfort. The boat of comfort. This is the idea that just don't rock the boat. Let's just get to the other side. Just calmly get to the other side. We want to just get through. As followers of Christ, we can fall into this trap of thinking that the goal is just to reach heaven as safely and calmly as possible. Look, like I just want to get to heaven and I want it to be a smooth ride. Like no bumps, no nothing. The reality is our calling in Christ has been brought down from what it should be to just get through. But if we read scripture, we know this is not the Christian life. This is not the call that God has placed on our lives. 
We are called to pursue Christ and make him known in the world today. This will involve risk and stepping out of our comfort zone. This will involve risk and stepping out of our comfort zone. Who cares what others think? Step out and give him the glory and watch him work. I heard one author say it this way. The only boat that is safe is the one that never leaves the harbor. The only boat that's safe is the one that never actually goes out to sea. Rather, let's step out in surrender, trusting Christ because we step out in faith. Of course, it's out of your comfort zone. That's okay. He gives you a comforter. The Bible says, I'm going to send you the spirit, the comforter, the one that comes alongside, the one that comforts you in the midst of the storm. Why does he give us a comforter? Why does he give one to his disciples? Because they are going to need a lot of comfort in the world. How is it that our hearts cannot be troubled? How is it we can stay focused on believe in God? You believe also, if you believe in God, believe also in me. How can we do that John 14 mindset? Because he gives us his spirit, John 14, 27, who is peace and comfort. So we step out. No fear out of our comfort zone. See, the boat of comfort is also seen in our lives as, I just couldn't really think of another way to say this. So if this steps on anyone's toes or at all, give it to the Lord, I guess. Vodi Bakum says, if you can't say amen, you ought to say ouch. You ought to say ouch. The boat of comfort is also seen in our lives as lazy Christianity. I know what God is calling me to do, and yet I just refuse because I just don't want to. I don't want to serve. I don't want to work. I don't want to minister. I just don't. I just want to be lazy. I just want to take it easy. I want to focus on me and and my kingdom. I love the Lord, and and I believe he saved me, but, you know, I just really don't have a desire to, to do that class or to teach that ministry or to... To do those things, I mean, I, I kind of, I know the Lord wants me to and I feel convicted, but I just keep saying no. The truth is, I believe we've all battled this in our lives. We've all battled this. And even as Christians, we've battled this. We know that gathering with the body is a great way to minister to one another. And yet, we know, by the way, you want to know one great way to step out of your boat and to be used of him to make a difference in someone's life? You can do that at church. So gathering with the body is one of the things we're called to, to encourage each other as the body of Christ. We know that. But man, it's been such a long weekend and I'm just really tired. I just worked really hard this week and I just, I just need a morning to kind of just relax. I don't know how to say this any other way and please know I say it with a heart of love and grace. That's just laziness. I'm not talking if you genuinely are unable, you're so needing a day of just rest and you're just not feeling good. And all. Of course, we understand that. I'm talking about the person that goes, yeah, I don't really feel it today. And you roll out of bed at 11 and you flip on the TV and you veg. That's just laziness. And if we're being honest, that's the New Testament rebukes that. We know we are all called to pray with the church, serving other believers, ministering to them as we pray with them and for them and gather under the preaching of God's word and encourage each other in corporate prayer. We see it in Acts. We're going to talk about it tonight. Acts chapter 12. Peter knew where the church was and he knew they were praying for him. 
Because they gathered in a physical location and they made a habit of this. Choosing not to forsake the assembling together, but they chose to come together. And it wasn't just because Peter was in prison. They did this so regularly that he knew where they would be. We know we are called to pray with and for the church. And yet, well, pastor, you know, it's been a long Wednesday. It's just, you know, I just, I, I didn't grow up with the habit of going to church on those service nights. So it's just not for me. It's just not something I'm used to doing. It's been a long day. I just don't really feel like it. I feel like I just need to take it easy tonight. If we're being honest, and I know this flies in the face of our culture, that's laziness. We all need rest. We all need time to take time to recoup and to recover from busyness. And I know we're all busy, but if we're so busy, we can't make time for the gathering with God's people. Something needs to change. Now you work, you say, man, but I work until seven o'clock, eight o'clock at night. I work thirds. I literally, okay, I'm not talking about those examples. And I do find it funny. We always run to those examples. And yet the other examples, whereas I get home in plenty of time, I just don't feel like it. We tend to shovel those under the rug. But, you know, pastor, we don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Absolutely right. Praise God we don't because there's nothing we have to do to be a Christian except receive Christ. But, again, we're talking about do you want to just live in your little boat and comfortable and free and uh, we'll just get there as safely as possible and restrict what God wants to do in your life because you just want to be lazy? Or are you willing to say, no, Lord, I'll step out of my comfort zone. I'll do what you're asking me to do. I'm not talking about taking time to rest and recoup, but we don't do those things in disregard of the things that God is calling us to. Yes, take time to rest. Take time to relax. Go on vacations. Enjoy yourself. Do those things that you need to do. That's fine. Enjoy the creation that God has given you. But let's do it mindful of the things that God has called us to and not in disregard of those things. Paul says it perfectly in Galatians 6, 9. Don't grow weary in well-doing. That's the passage where he talks about when you sow, you reap. Well, if you sow good works for Christ, you'll reap the benefit of those things. He says, don't grow weary. Don't lose heart. Don't get tired of doing well. Keep going. Keep serving. And find that satisfying joy, peace, and strength in the Lord. The last, well, second to last boat I want to talk about quickly. The boat of pride. The boat of pride. The boat of fear, the boat of comfort, and the boat of pride. This is the mindset that if we're just being honest, somebody would sound like this. I'm just too good for that. You're like, no, come on. I'm just, really? You want me to stack chairs? Come on. You want me to do what? Clean a toilet? I don't think so. You see, this is the type of thinking that sees certain service opportunities as beneath them. This person is fine with serving in the positions that give them notoriety and visibility However, if it is something behind the scenes or mundane, they cannot be bothered. This doesn't mean you do everything. So many servants of Christ that have the heart of service go, well, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. And they want to do everything. And I love your hearts, but you're going to burn yourself out. You can't do everything. But so it doesn't mean we do everything or that leaders who delegate tasks because they are limited on time is wrong. Those are good things to give others the chance to serve and grow. Yet we individually follow the example of Christ to humble ourselves as he did and do the work of the ministry, no matter how small or mundane the task. 
I know there's things that you're like, I just really don't feel like doing that. But there's some people, I had a pastor tell me one time, he was at a church and they wanted him to mow the grass. Something like that, mow the grass or something. And he said, I'll do that, but you know, I'm above this, right? My My qualifications, my credentials, like, I'll do it, but did you really bring me here to do that? There's got to be something more I can do than this. Now, I'm not knocking him per se, because I think that's a mindset that we can all kind of sneak into. We've all thought that as you were doing the work, like, really, this is what they got me doing? They can't find a better job for me? And listen, when you have that Barnabas type mindset of serving where you just go to anyone, encourage anyone, do anything because it needs to be done for God's glory. Again, not everything, but be willing to do anything if you can for his glory. You will see God do amazing things in your life. This boat of pride also is seen not only as that's beneath me, but also as long as I get recognition. And as long as I get some recognition in doing this, see, this person wants to be in ministry or be in a position of leadership to control and exert dominance. They love titles and positions of authority because they want people to look to them and elevate them. Oh, I'll do that, brother. I'll take that position. I'll wear that title. And then they start to dominate and control because it's all about them. And this, again, is, of course, the antithesis of Christ-like servant. It's the exact opposite of Christ-like service. Now, not, not that there's anything wrong with positions or titles. We have deacons and trustees, and, and, and I'm so thankful for what they do here. We have an amazing leadership team here in our boards, our deacons and our trustees. I go into a board meeting. Pastor Greg is there, and, and I love the spirit I don't know how much work we get done. There's a lot of laughing, but I think there's a lot of work that gets done too. It's just a great environment. There's nothing wrong with that. But however, the heart of the one serving must be humble enough to say, I don't do this for a title. I do this for the Lord. You see, we can recognize those that serve, and we did that on Appreciation Sunday. We said thank you to the teachers and volunteers and ushers and uh, those that do hall monitoring and any other number of things. Those that come and clean the church week in and week out, which has been fun as we're doing the remodeling. You can only imagine. But they're here every week. What can I do? One week they were like, can I come back on Friday or Saturday and do it again? I'm like, no, it's okay. We will be all right. Because the heart of the people serving should be for his glory, not their recognition. You see, if you desire to serve merely so you will be recognized and praised, you are missing the whole point of serving. James says it this way, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We see that in James 4, 6. The Apostle Paul tells us that we should not think more highly or too lowly of ourselves, but think rightly about who we are in Christ, Romans 12, 3. If I can summarize this, I would say this. Let us serve nameless that the name of Christ be exalted. Let us serve nameless, meaning if our name isn't remembered, that's okay, because the name of Christ is exalted. That's the goal. So our fourth boat, it's in your notes there, or you can just do this mentally, is whatever boat you are in right now. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write it down. Mark it on there. If you don't have notes in front of you, what is the boat that you're in right now that you know is holding you back from what the Lord would have for you? Is it the boat of a sin that you are battling, a specific sin that you need to repent of and and give to the Lord? Then do that today. 
seek forgiveness and watch him restore you and redeem you and use you and remind you that his grace is for you, not against you? Is it a specific fear, a past hurt, an addiction that you just can't seem to break free from? Give it to the Lord and step out. And I know we make it sound easy, but in Christ, he can give you the strength to do these things. In Christ, you can be set free to step out of that boat, eyes fixed on the Savior, receiving his mercy and grace, that things, that all things will be made new. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads right there where you are. We want to have a time of invitation. As you're bowing your heads right there where you are and we go before the Lord in invitation, I want to encourage you to make the decision to step out. To realize it is by grace from Christ and the strength found in Christ that we step out of the boats that are holding us back for his glory. Father, would you work in this morning? Would you lead us and guide us? Would you strengthen us in all that we need? Help us to know that you are with us. We fear not. Lord, for many of us, I know for me, there's been times I've been in each one of these boats in my Christian life. I've been in the boat of fear. I've been in the boat of comfort. I've been in the boat of pride. So, Lord, I'm thankful that you broke me of those things and at times reminded me and showed me through the practical example of others how we can serve, how we can step out, and how you work in that. So, Lord, would you work in all of this, Lord, for your glory and help us to step out. Thank you for being there with us in the storm, giving us the strength and courage. And again, for your glory, we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning as we are led in a song of invitation? Would you respond to what the Lord is doing as he is encouraging you to step out this morning? Maybe you'd come to the altar and say, Lord, I need to. And name the boat. Tell him what it is. He knows, but tell him, Lord, I'm stepping out of this boat today for your glory. Would you come and respond as we worship the Lord?